And now people have gone so crazy with dynamic range and color gamut, trying to get these huge color gamuts. You know, who cares about the exact color of a traffic light or a neon something glowing? The things that are really important are skin tones. And I've always maintained that the closest color you need to match is that as it gets closer and closer to neutral. Because if you see something that you know should be gray, then it can look just a little bit pink or blue or green. And you say that is obviously something wrong with that. You're listening to the Tom Parrish Interview Show. And today I'm here with David Corley, CEO of DSC Labs, located in Ontario, Canada. Here's a question. Are you using a color test chart on all your shoots? Well, why not? Have you considered what it's costing you in post with your colorist who end up fixing these problems, usually when you have multiple cameras or lighting that's not set right, versus using that same budget for creative color work? That's what we've come down to now. And in this show, we're going to talk about the integration of color test charts with Resolve 11, which is quite a monumentous uh, thing to occur in the color industry, and I'm really excited about it. And um, David's going to help me talk more about how we use them. Look, as a colorist using DaVinci, I see the trouble filmmakers get into. They're constantly bringing me films that are shot on a multitude of GoPros, DSLRs, higher you know, resolution Sony and Reds, all combined into one film, and nothing really matches up. So there's a painful reality that occurs once the finished video project comes in, and you basically are in this paradox that you need to be thinking about. Should you commit to a discipline of using a color test chart when you shoot or commit the money to the colorist at the end? It's going to come out of your pocket one way or the other. But really, the best person to talk about this and the company he's associated with is the one that knows the most about color test charts. And that's David Corley, who created DSC Labs. David, thank you for allowing me this long intro. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much. It's great to speak with you, Tom. And I think everything you said to this point is right on the money. Okay, so let's get started then. You know, you've been a champion for color accuracy for a long time. Tell us a little bit about how you got started. Okay, we, my, I emigrated to Canada with my family, mom, dad, and smaller 10-year younger brother when I, I was little more than a kid myself. <laughs> and it was anything for a buck. We did all sorts of things, anything from making signs for supermarkets. Uh, and somehow I got involved in the film business, and my dad got a contract to make a film, half-hour film in color, and I'd never made a film in my life. He said, David, you better learn how to make a film. So uh, we, we, we picked up an old Bolex, and I actually built editing equipment out of, out of camera parts and old projectors. And so we made a, oh, it was about a 20, 25-minute film in color. It was for Underwood typewriters. And they loved it, and so we were in the film business. <laughs> Yay, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> From there, we started making television commercials, and we got pretty pretty darn good at it. Although I say so myself, we, were, we sort of <laughs> won contracts against the major Canadian producers, and we got awards, the, um, oh, the Canada Award for business excellence and for 
best commercial and so on. They got even a bronze at the New York Festival in uh, in oh, well, it was way back in the 60s. So from there, we found that we did very much better if we had a reference, a color reference and grayscale. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So we started putting these in our uh, own production. Well, how, how was it? Uh, just back up. That's the part I'm most curious about. What came to you? What was the point? What what caused you to think that? Well, the the, the reason was that the labs uh, we didn't always get the same results coming back from the from the lab. Of course, it was all film in those days, and so. We figured if we put a reference on, we would know when they were were fouling up. And uh, because, of course, in film, you have the, the double whammy, you have the negative, then you have the prints. In fact, you have right. internegs and, and masters and everything else in between. And there are many ways that the film could uh, could. Be, be spoiled, but if we put a reference on, then we could choose the lab that did the best job. Right. And we actually said to them, we don't want you to time the film. People who are purely in <laughs> digital wouldn't, well, timing uh, is when they adjust the exposure in the print, for those who are not familiar with it, Right. so that they uh, can improve the image uh, much much as they do in post now. And uh, so by having this reference on the film, it uh, made it very much easier for us. And I would say to them, now you are not to time it. You're just going to put it through at your normal exposure. And if we want any changes made, we will do that. Anyhow, so we got, and then... The next thing was I was not very happy with the way our films were reproducing on television, and I thought they could be better. And so I went and had a talk with the CBC, and um, it turned out that they didn't have any real test test materials for lining up their telecine chain. <laughs> and so they said, well, if you're so damn smart, you better make us test slides for lining up the telecine chain. Two years later, we, well, we first of all went to Kodak, and they said, well, you're raving mad. You can never produce a film to that level of accuracy. We were trying to get uh, 10 times more accurate than the standard industry, you know, because you need a very accurate reference. Oh, good reference. point. Yeah, excellent, yeah. And so, anyhow, um, we then modified spectrophotometers and densitometers, and we actually built our own processors and cameras. We converted old IMAX cameras from the war they used, and we made them into slide cameras. And anyhow, this this all grew, and we were, from there we got into the slide business, and uh, uh, we developed the whole multi-screen uh, a thing that was very, very popular, fading from one, uh, one, one screen. Previously, they would have had three projectors 
say, on a screen. Uh-huh. Then we invented the way of putting another projector in between the, the three projectors and making masks that you could have great big wide images. So that was something. And I, oh, fascinating. I guess the biggest show we did for that would have been Ronald Reagan's inauguration where they had, oh, 108 projectors on 12 screens. Anyhow, we are getting off the trap, uh, off, off the point, but this is how we got into the sort of quality end of, and it's, it, it sort of grew from there. So just for those who might not quite be totally in sync with this, because, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to the show and a lot of people who are just getting started, give us a short, what is a color test chart and what do you use it for? Okay, I can give you an idea. One of the major networks in L.A. Mm-hmm. was doing a soap. And they had five uh, five cameras. Five, wow. And the DP, who was actually Chuck, Chuck Farris, who was uh, famous in the business, he was saying, this is, is really hard work. I sit there and I'm adjusting cameras the whole way through the show. And at the end of it, he was... He was um, He'd done a day's work. (laughs) Then they got one of our test charts, and they lined up the cameras beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I think one of his comments was, David, I don't like taking their money because I just sit there and watch (laughs) the show go. (laughs) So so when you say line up, let's just go ahead and take it one layer down. You know, the the test chart, this is an audio show, so a test chart has the three primaries, the three, uh, I mean, uh, secondaries, plus some, what, 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 what are the typical things? And a whole bunch of tones in between that are equally Skin tones, spaced. yeah, right. And I guess the unique thing about the our test chart is that they are they make a very neat octagonal pattern yeah. that's very easy to use. Yeah, when you're trying to line it up on the on the engineering side to see that. Uh... Yes, you 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 get the primaries in where they should be, and then the all the other colors form a nice neat uh, sort of beehive shape thing. So, do you so, know, um, did, did you did you know Art Adams? Did you work with him on that that particular DSC card? Oh he... yes, yeah. No, Art is Art is wonderful. Yeah, and we we like him because <laughs> he doesn't take any baloney. Mm-hmm. And we figure if we make him happy, we're going to make everybody happy. Yeah. What? What? Tell us what exactly he came to you with. That was kind of an interesting story on that. Well. You know, I forget where how we first got involved with with art, but he's been coming with us to NAB and so on and doing demos for the last couple of years. Actually, he didn't come this year because his partner was was had an operation. Mm-hmm. But um, he he is a very particular guy who won't take any bull from people. Mm-hmm. And he tells it the way it is, and and uh, uh, people who appreciate the truth then obviously appreciate the guy. For sure. And he's um, wanted us to come up. We've 
had the Chroma Dumont, which has been the sort of pretty well the standard of the industry for, for some years, he wanted a simpler chart. And we came up, uh, well, he sort of came up with a design and we talked on it and we modified it and came up with the thing we call the one shot. Hmm, that's what and it's called. it yeah. is um, very helpful for people. You just pop it into in the scene, shoot a few frames of it, and then, well, you as the postmaster would know the benefits of having an accurate reference in post. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so that, that was the simple concept behind it. He, he, uh... We actually have another product that I thought would be wonderful. Um, is it goes on, on the arms of a, of a slate. And instead of the regular black and white or the colors they put on there, accurate colors. So that every scene you shoot, every time you take a slate, then you've got those reference colors in the scene. I've always wondered why why that wasn't the case. I don't know if people use that or not, but it's, it's well, like... It, yeah, you know, we, you know we came up with it some years ago, and it, it sort of went like a lead balloon, <laughs> but probably because we didn't promote it properly. <laughs> that does make a difference, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I see the purpose of I mean, more and more and more, everybody needs to be doing it one way or another. Yes. You, you, when we started making test patterns, I guess 95% were used for lining up cameras. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, 95% are used on the set as a set reference. Yeah. And what people are not realizing is there are all these wonderful LED lights that are being produced, which are great in concept. And as environmentalists ourselves, we're, we're, we're very keen on saving energy. But they can be, oh, produce pure chaos because the spectral distribution, for those who are not familiar with it, <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> Sorry. It, well, you know, yeah. light, if you have sunlight, is pretty well evenly distributed yes. across the red, green, blue, and all the little wavelengths in between. Right, 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 yeah. When you get into these exotic lights like LEDs, they're very, very efficient. Mm -hmm. But you miss out many, many of those wavelengths in between. Mm-hmm. And so this results in areas where certain colors are not reproducing accurately. Yeah, yeah. So this is where your card can really make a big difference for folks. Well, that's absolutely. I mean, um, if, you, if you don't have a known reference, there, there are people who are doing sort of crazy things like putting a test pattern on their iPad uh, and well, that's great. You can you can shoot that iPad, but it tells you nothing about the light that is lighting the scene. Yeah, it's the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, so along this line, I understand over the years your color test charts have actually been used in a wide variety of places beyond uh, you know reference uh, for shoots and broadcast oh, TV yes. and all that. Ta yes. Talk a little bit about some of these rather bizarre but <laughs> amazing okay. places. Well, 
Um, this this year, just about half the world's population, we hope, were benefited. I mean, if they watch the games from Sochi, that's well, there were three billion people mm-hmm. watching those, and and so the cameras were all lined up with our test patterns, and they're used they they're used widely in the industry, but they're also used in law enforcement. We've been working with the university uh, in Belgium, the University of Ghent, on medical charts for medical alignment. Because in medical imaging, obviously, um, color color reproduction is vitally important, particularly so when you've got famous doctors in Australia who are operating remotely on somebody in Seattle or someplace. That's a good point. They've got to know that the colors that they're working with (laughs) are accurate. So we've actually just taken out a patent on microscope for for getting accurate reproduction in my uh, in microscopy so this 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 color now the law enforcement and security and medical imaging is sort of as far as quality is concerned or color accuracy there the way film and television was about 15 or 20 years ago it was a red car. No, it was an orange car. No, it was a, it was a light red, pink. <laughs> exactly. But this we had exactly the same thing happen up here. There was a murder about five or six months ago, and they they, they got different people. Some some people said the car was blue. Others said it was green, and consequently, they never caught the car. Yeah, but. We have products that can let you go in even after the fact and correct a video. What we do is we put one of our test charts in the scene. We have special ones for security. Mm-hmm. Then they shoot the test chart make the, with the, obviously the same camera that shot the original scene. Mm-hmm. Then they correct the test chart to being accurate and put that same correction into the video that shot the incident then that way you can you can get a very much more accurate reproduction of the original scene well that's the most fascinating thing it's really smart well it's uh, you know it's really just common common sense but nobody's been doing it <laughs> yeah well who'd have thought there'd be such a um uh, wide use of color. But I mean, yeah, I think it fits in general with what I'm seeing. You know, color color grading tools, we'll be getting to Resolve here in a little bit. They totally changed the game when they offered Resolve Lite for free three or four yes. years ago. And that just that was like the last part of the whole post-production workflow chain that had sort of fallen through the floor with regards to cost. Now, there are all kinds of issues that are associated with that. But the bottom line is, all of a sudden, I've noticed... You know, people are like, well, maybe, maybe I should be paying more attention. I mean, we could do that now. And what about the monitor? Now they're concerned about the monitors more. And so there's a whole growing awareness, uh, you know, like as they say, when the tide comes in, all the boats, boats rise. And I'm, I'm seeing this affect a lot of different industries. So you talking about it the way you are is <laughs> definitely fits what I'm seeing all around. Yes. You know, speaking of monitors, we've actually just 
um, well, a couple of years ago, took out a patent on a an intuitive way to do monitor alignment, oh. which is rather cute. If I could just tell you about it, it's it's a self-illuminated it. test pattern that goes on the middle of a monitor. Yeah, or you can do it for a, a front 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 projection, mm -hmm. and you have the same pattern on the monitor as on this self-illuminated device. It's a little bit hard to, it's like trying to describe a s spiral staircase without using your hands. <laughs> but, okay. you know, you, so you have this pattern, which we know is accurate, then you can look at the monitor, then the pattern extends out into it's the same pattern in the monitor, mm -hmm. and you can see exactly which colors are accurate and which you aren't which aren't, and then align the monitor as best you can. Oh, I would love to try that. I have a, um, I'm well, a SpectraCal, I have a Klein 10A and, and all that. Yes, all that stuff is great, but it tends to give it to you in terms of numbers, which... True. And the human eye has always been the, the instrument, the sort of ultimate arbiter, if you like. Yeah. Um, in fact, they even use the term JND, you know, just noticeable difference. That is a legitimate term of measurement, which I could never really understand. Well, in, in, in calibration, one of the big issues that's coming up now, now that calibration is for monitors is becoming more important, is that people get very confused and they sort of get their underwear in a knot, as they say, around this issue of this monitor doesn't match that monitor after we've done the calibration. That is correct. OLED, the OLED is going to have different spectral density emissions like you were talking about with the LEDs versus LCD versus plasma. And so even though they technically line up to Rec. 709 and all the little dots go, you know, they're under an average delta E of 3 or whatever, they don't look quite the same yes, still. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. See, when we first got into the business, the... Colorimetry was fairly linear. Yeah. <laughs> so if you got your primaries and secondary colors accurate, everything else fell fairly well into place. Yeah, the good old days. And then people came to me and said, but we need all these other colors. And I <laughs> said, well, why? <laughs> and, but it soon became obvious because once you start bending the colorimetry, and we have done, actually, there's a thing on our, uh, there's one of the tech tips, I think, that was sent in, shows this very clearly, that you can have the primaries in their boxes, but with the chromodumon chart, which has all the ones that join it up, right. you can see some of those colors are way, way off. And and so this is this is why it's important, and it's now with LED and other exotic lighting, uh, it, it's become just an enormous can of worms. It's really weird. When we got into the business, uh, we're told 30, 40 years ago, the camera manufacturers were saying, well, you really don't need test, test charts because our cameras are now so good <laughs> that they reproduce beautifully. Oh, of course. And this is, well, you would know it. Nobody would know better than you that, that this, you can have <laughs> two images of the same thing and they can both look good, but they can both look quite different. Yeah. As far as the color, color reproduction is concerned. Yeah. 
And now people have gone so crazy with dynamic range and color gamut, trying to get these huge color gamuts. It was interesting. I gave a paper, um, Sky Television in the UK, who are huge, came to us and they said, we want you to make us a special test pattern. We don't want high dynamic range. We don't want high color gamut. We just want the colors that are normally in a scene because we, in effect, they didn't want to waste bits and bytes with a whole bunch of colors that are seldom ever received. They would, they would rather have that information, that data, and keep it in people's facial tones and clothing and so on. And I thought after a while, I thought, well, you know, at first I thought they were crazy. And then I thought, well, they're really crazy <laughs> like a fox. And we actually did a paper on that that we gave it in, uh, at a SIMTI conference in L.A. a couple of years ago. But people have gone crazy with these extended colors. And I think it's far more important, you know, who cares about the exact color of a traffic light or a or a neon something glowing, the things that are really important are skin tones. And I've always maintained that the closest color you need to match is that as it gets closer and closer to neutral. Because if you see something that you know should be gray, and it can look just a little bit pink or blue or green, and you say that is obviously something wrong with that. Yeah, it's a good first visual check that I use sometimes with lining up monitors. It's like, well, great. That's not really great. It's yeah, Ted pink, yeah. you know, or Ted blue. I have a question. Do color charts change over time, go bad over time? Yes. Seems like they uh, might. <laughs> this, this is something that that we've been telling people. We are you, we, we, we use the most stable pigments we can, mm -hmm. but depending on the environment, and as our environment degrades, and we're using more and more. There was a perfect example of somebody, we had a client got on a plane in L.A., mm -hmm. and they lost his baggage. Oh, and shit. it didn't come on that plane. It came on the next one. And when he took it, took the chart out, it had gone quite yellow. This was just in a matter of a couple of hours. Really? And we came to the conclusion that the thing got stuck in an x-ray machine. <gasps> wow. Well, we can't think that it was any, any, anything else. Wasn't temperature or, or humidity? Or the, or... the x-rays or something, you know. Yeah. Nothing lasts forever. We have a new... Uh, actually, it's a pattern that we've taken out, which I, I think is going to be very, very cute. It's We put a secondary test chart on the main test chart, and we call it Veritas. Veritas was the Roman goddess of truth, so that's why we chose the <laughs> I name. love that. I love that. And this little pattern of five or six extra little chips, quite small, at the end of a year we send out just in an envelope those little five or six chips and then our clients can put that on their pattern mm -hmm. and see if it's changed. And if it's changed, then 
they can trade it in at a good price. If it if it hasn't, they know they're good for another year or for however long. Cool. And so, um, as I say, we only introduced that at NAB this year, and I think I, th- I think it's a sensible idea because uh, we have some clients that trade in their patterns every year or every couple of years. Mm-hmm. But there's no point in doing that if it's not necessary. Well, okay. So moving on then. Thanks. That was very interesting. I had a feeling that, you know, they're, they're sort of paper, even if they're plastic, that still paint, paint fades over time and stuff gets left out in the sun. And boy, when you're in the field, you never know where things end up sometimes. So No, no. And also ozone can also yeah. damage them. Good point. Yeah. But particularly with mat charts and that. That's another whole issue that we could talk about. <laughs> but I know, uh, can we just bounce on this very, very quickly? Sure, because absolutely, go for this it. This was something that uh, NASA were using our backlit system. And they said, well, we can't take one of these things into space. It's just simply too big and cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. you make us a test chart? And this was before we got into doing front-lit charts. We'd only be doing back-lit because I knew front-lit charts were an enormous can of worms. (laughs) And so they'd always been made on a matte surface. Well, there are two things that happen with a matte surface. One is that you cannot get a true black. And the other is that the most of them will vary depending on the type of light, whether you're using a floodlight or a spotlight, and also the angle of the light. And so, as I say, NASA wanted something that they could use that was much higher dynamic range and would would, uh, also be more consistent. We did quite a lot of research and came up with making a high-gloss chart. Now, of course, the gloss chart reflects, it reflects everything. We thought we would obviate this by providing a black flag that people could reflect, because if, if you tilt the chart a couple of, inch, a couple of degrees, right, right. and it's looking, and you, and you drop a black cloth from the camera lens, mm-hmm. then you've got total black because you've got the chart just looking into jet black. Right, right. And we made a whole bunch of these and we said, well, this is crazy. People aren't buying them. And they said, well, no, we we really don't need them because the only place you would need it if you're out shooting a snow scene and you've got a bunch of snow behind you that is reflecting. Right. And, and so... Uh, I remember the first time we introduced it at NAB, one guy came by, oh, glossy chart, absolutely ludicrous, and went storming off. He wouldn't even let us begin to explain. (laughs) But now 98% of the charts we sell are actually glossy. Now, um, Art was very concerned with this for the one shot. So we do make the one shot in a matte version it's it's uh, we've been making it a couple of years now mm-hmm. but we use the black chip we do use a glossy on it but now by popular demand we're actually making the one shot in the uh, glossy accuflect we call these surface 
And uh, so, yes, it has many, many benefits. I mean, they've used them. They used our glossy charts down from outer space right to the depths of the Atlantic in shooting the documentary on the Titanic. So um, the, the fact that you can sort of wipe them off and sort of give them a rinse is a great benefit. Also, they do fade less, considerably less, because they are protected. Good point. Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, getting absolute black is definitely one of those reference points that, especially with uh, in the editing or in the colorist studio now, many of us have OLED displays, and we really yes. we really get to dance with blacker than black, you know, per se, and and uh, that's a good point. Yeah, that that's why we came up with the cavity black, which is uh, we've you know it's it's a special black velvet. A lot of people don't realize the technology that has to go into these things. Ninety percent of black velvet, probably ninety eight percent, has very high IR reflection. Huh. Which and that can be murder on a camera. Yeah, because cameras are just so sensitive across such a wide spectrum of. Yes. Oh, oh, we see this particularly in security cameras. Yeah. We have seen black and white images from security cameras. From. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, yes, they will. They they will have somebody who is on the spot saying, oh, the guy was wearing a gray jacket or a black jacket. Uh-huh. Then they look at the security camera image and, and, and the black is almost white yeah. from the high IR that was coming from yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I worked for an IR company for a while, so I'm really familiar with that. It's back in the days when you we used liquid nitrogen to cool these uh, sensors from these uh, uh, Scandinavian cameras. It was really bizarre. All right, let's move on to something I'm really keen on hearing about. How was it you guys got in, involved with uh, Blackmagic's uh, Resolve 11? Did they call you? You call them? What, what was the story? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it was kind of funny because somebody phoned us from Spain. <laughs> really? <laughs> and they said, because um, our colors, basically, you cannot make you cannot print colors strongly enough that they will go into the boxes that you can you can get them all in on a vector scope no. so we came up with a solution with the cvc or oh, this was 40 years ago oh, okay okay if we make them at half saturation mm-hmm. then you just double the vector scope gain well, and then they will go in that you will have the accurate reproduction. So it was a very simple technique, mm-hmm. and um, and it and it's worked fine ever since. Uh, so we had this fellow phone from Spain saying, "Black Magic don't have a times two uh, gain on their scope," <laughs> and I said, "Well, oh, and I had great." dealings with black magic i think it was in the states yeah and i didn't seem to be getting to first base anyhow i I sort of let let the thing ride i shouldn't have but we've got busy doing other things sure and uh, anyhow i guess last year yeah about six months ago i had a call from i think it was peter chamberlain 
of black magic in Singapore. Yeah, right. And he was the sales manager of Da Vinci Resolve. Mm -hmm. And anyhow, we got talking about it. And so they became quite keen. And because our charts were in use so much, that they would then decided to put on the times times two gain. So that's the sort of, in a nutshell, how it all happened. And it started, I think they made, they made files for the one shot. Now they're doing them for the Chroma Dumont. Oh, I see. So I think this is going to make life a whole lot easier for you guys up in the booth. Well, I haven't had a chance to use it yet. Uh, I mean, literally, Resolve 11, as of uh, recording this show, came out maybe three or four days ago, the beginning of this week. And um, and I'm anxious to just try it out. It appears as though um, I brought the user interface up. You, you hold the card up. You take... Uh, few frames and a few seconds of that just like you would at the beginning of a of a scene in the in the existing light and yes that is the way i understand it actually we came up with a, a thing a lovely device with sony for their oled monitors mm-hmm. which have a slot to put a chip and we provide a electronic image of the a JPEG or something of, of the Chroma Dumont mm-hmm. and then you can then wipe between the perfect electronic image mm-hmm. with the image from the camera mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, this this is a great way to line up a camera nice nice um, and of course, because you're seeing seeing the colors exactly as they are and we actually demoed that on our booth at NAB last year and this year. Well, on the Resolve side, just to end it, it appears as though once you've taken that, you can you bring that, uh, you ingest that footage, and uh, there's actually a little button you push on the uh, on Resolve that says which card is other cards besides y'all's. Right. And it seems to know where the color patches are, and it lines them up, and whammo, makes the adjustment for you in a node, which you can then reuse. Right, yes. I think this is going to be a great benefit, but you've got to remember (laughs) there's always a qualification, and I've been telling people this for years. Yes, our test patterns are designed to give you accurate reproduction, but if you bought film that gave you accurate reproduction, you would never buy it again. Okay. Think about that for a minute, because it always gives you a little bit larger than life or people have a certain look they like. Some mm-hmm. like Kodachrome, some like Ektachrome, some mm-hmm. like Fuji. Right. Because everybody's vision is somewhat slightly different. And yes, we use this sort of original uh, CIE standard as, as being what color should be. Right. But um, again, it's becomes a personal thing and having this is one of the great values I think that the Chroma Dumond has been has given you the standard then you can adjust that to get a particular look and you then you look at the chart and you say oh oh well yes the red is here and the, the greens moved over there a little bit you can reproduce that at any time in the future to get that exactly the same 
look. So you're saying if there's a particular look or offset from what is quote unquote the standard, you can reproduce that offset later on. Exactly. Yeah. And this will be good point. Usually it's going to be different from a sporting event to a talk show to a theater reproduction. Oh, I like what you're saying. That makes a ton of sense. And that's all a part of what I've been getting at in my theme of some of these shows over the last year is that there's a growing awareness of color. What color is, what color uh, is for a particular look, what the standard looks like, uh, where the monitor's off, where the camera's off, and to actually now have a set of references so that you can begin focusing your mindset, you can sort of raise the level of awareness, sort of transcend the... I don't know, to the, hey, that's what's standard to this level you're talking about, which is, we like this particular warm look for these interviews. Let's make sure we use that all the way through. And, Absolutely. And reapply that offset. and Because a look doesn't have to look like um, an alien movie or something like that. It can be just, a, you, you see that on broadcast. You see certain tonight um, late night shows, they all have a slightly different look to them. And that's yes. intentional. Yes, yeah. Well, exactly. I, I mean, on the Tonight Show, they've been using our Reelit system, also Saturday Night Live. Oh, really? And but then on Letterman, they use our front lit. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but no, the, 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 this is not that they will get a different look. Actually, um, Leno also was using the front lit. Hmm. Yes, so it really doesn't matter which they use. One of the benefits of the backlit system is that being illuminated by a known illuminant, hmm. it's always the same. And on the Saturday night live show, they could run that around from one set to another. Oh. And when the lighting director wants a particular look, he wants to throw in some certain colors or to get a look. Typically, what'll come, what will happen will be the cameraman will hit white balance, boom, and that kills his whole look. <laughs> and, and so having the known back illuminated standard, then it does enable you to keep whatever look you decide in your uh, lighting. Right. Excellent. So it's as though there's something to be learned and borrowed from old, brought new, and um, in these new independent productions that are being done with all these cameras. So, um, uh, how, how, by the way, how did you come up? What is the, the name, the demand? Or what did you call the um, particular uh, chart that you were referencing? Oh, chroma demand. Chroma is, demand. Is, uh, what does that mean? Oh, yes, it was interesting how, <laughs> if you got a... <laughs> 30, 30 seconds. Sure. <laughs> this came up because the standard, the 709 standard, has always come from Geneva. Oh. <laughs> we called it Chroma Dumont, which is Colors of the World. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That was the name. And <laughs> during the Iraq War, I think that's when we made some of the first Chroma Dumonts. And we got so many complaints because France wasn't going into the war. 
Are you going why, to be why do you call it Chroma Dumont? <laughs> <laughs> and we, yeah, actually, um, uh, yes, that it it was used extensively mm-hmm. in that war. Mm-hmm. We've got pictures of it on Hummers and and jeeps and things. And in in fact, the cam- cameraman there lost two jeeps in the Tigris River. Wow. I think it was the Tigris, and he said the only thing he salvaged, which he's cherished, is a camera tripod and our chart. <laughs> but anyhow, we digress. Yeah. Well, all right. Last word. Anything else you want to say? This has been a, this has been a joy. Uh, and and a great fun and hugely informative. So um, you know, I, I really, really, really appreciate this, David. Anything else you want to add? Well, no, I just appreciate your giving us the opportunity to. No, the only thing I would say is, really, use a chart. If you'd use nothing else, use a grayscale and a white balance because the new LED lighting, wonderful as it is, there's good and bad. Yeah. I agree. Well, thank you so much, and um, uh, this is going. This I think is going to be very informative for everyone. Lovely speaking with you, Tom. Thank you. Bye for now. <laughs>